Okay, if you are a kid in the room, we'll say fifth grade and under, parents permitting, come and join me up here on the stage. Whichever direction you want to come, just come on up. Come on up, watch the cables. Come on up. Hi there, hi there. And young, just have a seat right in front of me. Right down there on the ground. Let's come and watch the cables. Watch the cables. All right. Brought your candle with you. Good deal. Oh, you don't have to have your candle. Don't, don't go back and get it. Okay, so Merry Christmas. Is this, is, this, is, this, is this real life? I mean, Merry Christmas. There we go. Thank you. Yeah, you sounded like your parents when I said hello earlier. That's okay. Everybody misses it the first time around. So y'all been having fun so far? All right, who's been in the bounce house? Yeah, y'all have fun in the bounce house? Who's had a s'more? You've had a s'more so far? Have you? You had to figure out what that was, the s'more? You just got here. Well, I bet you get one after. Okay, who's had a candy cane so far? Anybody had a candy cane yet? Yeah, you had a candy cane? I guess, who likes candy canes? I mean, everybody like a candy cane? Yeah? Yeah. Do you eat a lot of candy canes, anybody? Uh, kind of, sort of, just a little bit. For real, you like the candy canes over there? Very rarely. Very rarely, okay, yeah. I like them too. I'm not fond of the peppermint, but I do like a candy cane. But there's all different flavors, all different colors, and things like that. I have a blue one. Oh, do you? I've got some green ones, some orange ones, and some red ones. Really? Hey, well, right now I've got a red one. So this is the original. The original candy cane is red and white. Got a thumbs up on that. Did you know that there's a, there's a legend of the candy cane? Really? Legend. Yeah, for real. Would y'all, you want me to tell you the story, the legend of the, of the candy cane real quick? Okay, so... So, like, hundreds of years ago, no lie, hundreds of years ago, there was a Christian candy maker, all right? So, it's not, he, it's not that he made candy that's Christian. He just happened to be Christian and a candy maker, all right? So, at Christmas time, one year, he wanted a candy. He wanted to make a candy that was a reminder of Jesus because he was a Christian. He was a Christ follower. So, Christmas time, he wanted a reminder as if <laughs> Christmas time wasn't enough. But the Christian candy maker, he wanted to come up with a candy that reminded him of Jesus. So the first thing he started to do, he was thinking, well, what kind of shape should I make this candy out of? So the first thing he thinks is we have a candy cane, and we hold it like this, and we think of a cane like this, and we call it a candy cane because it looks like a cane, right? So your great-grandparents, they walk around with a cane, you know, because they're old. You know, that's why we call it a candy cane. But what he thought is if you turn that around, you flip it upside down, it's a J. That's right. What does that J stand for? Jesus. Jesus. Right. So number one, he comes up with a candy cane, but he didn't call it a candy cane. He, he might have called it a candy J. I don't know. You know, it was hundreds of years ago. Things change. But this is a legend. Right. So it could be whatever I want it to be right now. But for right now, he made it in the form of a J. So it's for Jesus, to remind him of Jesus. But there's, the other, there's some other things in the design of this that remind him of Jesus. So if you look at it like this, it looks like a cane, but it also 
looks like a shepherd's staff. Now, what is a shepherd? And it kind of looks like a sled if you turn it sideways. It, it does. But Yes, yes. A shepherd is someone who takes care of animals, specifically sheep, for our purposes here tonight. So he makes it to look like a shepherd's staff. And on a shepherd's staff, it's got this bend up here, and it's called a crook. But the shepherd would use that to, you know, grab his sheep. If his sheep are wandering off and they're trying to get away from him, he'd take his staff with the crook and he'd just hook them and bring them back over here and get them in line. Right? It's funny. Yeah. It is. Yeah. In real life and the spiritual sense. So he made it in the form of a shepherd's staff. Now Jesus, in John chapter 10, Jesus says that he is the good shepherd. But he also says that he is the good shepherd and a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So a shepherd leads his sheep, but he's also there to protect his sheep. So what do you have to beat in order to protect something? You got to risk things. That's, that's right. What else? Other things you think of. If you're going to be a protector, what do you got to be? Pet the sheep. Pet the sheep. I bet he did pet them. But but if you're going to protect something, can you be weak? No. no you got to be strong. That's right. So that's why the candy maker he made his candy cane hard. It's a hard candy and it's strong. But at the same time, anybody ever broke a candy cane? Yeah. Happens every time. All right, real quick, sidebar. Which direction do you eat a candy cane? Do you go this way or do you go that way? That way. <laughs> right, that way. But some, yes. That's a good point. That's right. That's right. But oftentimes for me, sometimes when I'm getting after it like this, you know, side to side, all that moving around, sometimes it just breaks. So it's strong and it's hard, but it can also be broken. So when Jesus says in John chapter 10 that he is the good shepherd and a good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep, what Jesus did for you and I and for everybody is that he went and he laid his life down because he is the good shepherd, but his body was broken as he laid his life down. So two reminders so far. We have the J for Jesus, but then the shepherd's staff. Jesus is the good shepherd, and he lays down his life. And now let's get to the colors. So he made the colors red and white. That's right. Come on, give me some penny. Yep. All right. So the red is when Jesus goes as the good shepherd and he lays down his life for the sheep, he sheds his blood. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews tells us that in the Old Testament, all the Old Testament sacrifices, they were acceptable to God, to God because there was blood that was shed. And we know from Scripture that Jesus, when he went to the cross and he died on the cross for our sins and he shed his blood, that became the covering for all of our sin. So there's the red, and then lastly is white. white. And white stands for? Uh, like purity, uh, like purity, from all the purity, purity yeah, that was the blood. But the color white stands for purity. It stands for cleanness. Like there's no blemish. There's nothing wrong with it at all. Like does anybody know how you get the color green? Yeah. How do you get green? Blue and yellow mix, right? That's how you get green. Orange, you take, you know, you take yellow and red, you get orange. You know, purple, you got to get, you got a blue and you get red, you know, and you make those. He tapped out, man. He was kind of like Sunday. Adults, do you relate on a Sunday morning when I go long? <laughs> I'm sorry, buddy. I'm sorry. 
I'm going to wrap it up for y'all. So everybody stay here. Right. Oh, he's that catted. Hey, you'll get a candy cane here in a minute, I promise. But the white means purity. There's nothing in there. If you mix, if you can put anything with the white, it's no longer white anymore. And that's a representation of Jesus. Is Jesus is pure. He's perfect in every way. So that when Jesus does go and he dies on the cross for our sin, it's his per- perfection that makes the covering for us in the shedding of his blood. Because he's the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. So this Christmas, and any time you ever eat a Christmas, Christmas, Christmas cane, Christmas cane, every time you eat a candy cane, let it be a reminder, though, of Jesus who gave his life for you. So for each of you, as you grow up and you let that truth settle within you, and it's a reminder always of what he did, then you become his sheep. And Jesus does say that my sheep know my voice and they follow after me. So as you grow older and you follow Jesus, know that a candy cane can be a good reminder of your Savior and your good shepherd. Cool? Okay. So let me pray for us. Will you pray with me? Okay. And then you guys can go over there and get you a candy cane. Lord, thank you for this evening. And Lord, I thank you for just this time. I thank you for these children. Lord, and just their innocence, Lord. and But also their knowledge. And I just pray, Lord, that just their understanding of your gospel and your salvation, Lord, would grow within them, Lord. And I pray that just a simple reminder in a candy cane can let them know that you are their good shepherd, that you lay down your life uh, for your sheep, Lord. And just what a wonderful gift that you've given us in that, Lord. And we praise you for it. We thank you for it. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so you guys go this way, and Miss Jennifer is going to give you all a candy cane and some crayons with some paper. So when I go long here in a minute, you can color. Parents, it's for your kids. Let me catch one of y'all coloring. I'm just kidding. If you want to color, color. Okay, parents, help us out. If they if you maybe stand up, they can find you. They don't get lost on the way back. And So our time, called the adult teaching, is not 
not much different from that right there. There are a myriad of things that as we read the Christmas story over the Christmas season uh, that we can pull out of that story as far as theological truths and things like that and, and great reminders that can come out of that story as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. But there's one in particular this evening that I want to remind us all of. As we look at a candy cane and we go through those things that's built into a candy cane to give us reminders of what Jesus has done for us. It's the last thing that I mentioned that in some ways, I wouldn't say carries the most weight, but it does give us a truth that makes way for everything else. It makes everything else acceptable in a way. And as much as we look at Easter and we celebrate the resurrection and the power that's there, as we look at Christmas and we celebrate the birth of the one that would one day be resurrected, there's a characteristic there that is highly important for us. So in Luke chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, we're going to read just a small little portion of the, the Christmas story. But we're going to hone in on a characteristic that's present there within Jesus that is vastly important for us. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, Luke tells us, he says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So Luke, he, he, he points out here, if you read Matthew's gospel, he gives the genealogy of Jesus all the way back. But here you have Luke, he says that this angel Gabriel was sent from God. Like at an appointed time, God said to Gabriel, now you go to this specific place, you find this specific girl, and you tell her these specific things. But it was specific to say that he was sent to a virgin that was betrothed to a man. Not a virgin married to a man, a virgin that is betrothed. There's been no consummation of a marriage. And then again, in the same verse, and the virgin's name was Mary. In verse 28, he says, and he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one. So you find some characteristic about this virgin. One characteristic is she is a virgin, but also here that she is favored by the Lord. So she said, he says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So here you're this teenage girl in this tiny backwoods village called Nazareth around the area of Galilee. And an angel of the Lord appears before you. She tells you that you're favored. And then not only that you're favored, she says you're going to conceive and you're going to give birth to the Son of God. This is what you're going to name him. He's going to be the Son of the Most High. And her response is, she's troubled. She's what? Verse 34 gives us her response. And Mary said to the angel, she says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? 
So in all of what was just said to her, what she realized is there's a problem with what you just told me, Gabriel, because I'm a virgin. How is it that I'm going to conceive and bear a child? Her understanding was that's not how that works. I'm a virgin, but it's her virginity, it's her purity that becomes the key characteristic in the coming of the king. And there's a reason for that. There is a deep reason for that we're going to get to in here in just a moment. But as we read the Christmas story, and we read this several times over, we sing songs about it. But this aspect of it, I'm not going to say is always forgotten, but it's not always driven home or it's not always thought through. We just read and we understand, yeah, she was a virgin, that's great. But it cannot be passed over to let that settle on our hearts as to why that is. There was a pastor years ago. He's, he's since passed away not too long ago, but he was a televangelist. He was a preacher. Uh, one of the largest churches in our nation at one point in time, he was the pastor of. And he was asked this question one time. Uh, he was asked specifically what he believed about the virgin birth. And this is what he said. He said, I could not in print or in public deny or affirm the virgin birth of Christ. He says, when I have something I can't comprehend, I just don't deal with it. Now, I find that statement odd. Now, we know there are false teachers and there are pastors of many megachurches who completely get it wrong on a myriad of things, but this particular thing, no doubt he's preached at Easter about the resurrection. No doubt he seems to be able to wrap his mind around the resurrection. He can teach on that thing. It doesn't say that in the quote, but he just says, if I can't comprehend something, I just don't deal with it. But I question, how do you not comprehend the virgin birth? Scripture makes it abundantly clear, right? An angel sent from God to the specific place, to the specific girl, tells her she's favored and that she's going to conceive and she's going to bear a child. What's to not comprehend? Are you hindered by your natural limitations? And the answer would be yes. Biologically, that cannot happen. But spiritually, supernaturally, becomes the key difference in how that comes about. So a couple things that we can pull out of this, and we're, for tonight, we're just going to leave it at two. Some things that it reminds us of, when we think about a virgin birth, and what that means for us, one, it means and it gives us a sinless Savior. It gives us a sinless Savior. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, the Apostle Paul, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, who was Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So Paul makes this, this statement. He has this understanding that all of us are sinners, all of us share in Adam's sin because all of us come from Adam. Every one of us, we come from his seed. Adam and Eve were the first human beings on planet Earth. God gave them a command. One of the first commands he gave Adam and Eve was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The reason for the genealogies in Scripture that we don't like to read because it was someone that we can't pronounce, son of, son of, son of, son of, son of, son of, was to take us all the way back. We see the line of people all the way back to Adam, where we all come. But Paul makes this point that we all come from Adam. Death came through sin, which Adam sinned. Since we all come from Adam, then we all have sinned. 
The point that Paul is making for us here is every single one of us share in that sin. Sin is not something that we grow up and we learn because we live in a sinful world. We live in a sinful world because one man sinned and now we all share in that because he came from Adam. But now Jesus, he has a conversation with the Pharisee later in John chapter 3. His name is Nicodemus and he was the teacher of teachers in Jerusalem and this is part of the conversation that Jesus has with this teacher. And Jesus tells him in John chapter 3, verse 3, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again when he is old? He's a smart guy, he understands. He just heard this statement from Jesus. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. So this very intelligent man hears those words and he's just, how is it that that's possible to be born again? And he asks, can he do that when he's old? He also says, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? No, that's an absurd statement. Nicodemus knows, and it's, an, knows it's an absurd statement, but he makes it because he's not comprehending what Jesus means when Jesus says, you must be born again. Why? Just as Mary asked that angel, how can this be? I'm a virgin. She's hindered by her natural limitation. She's hindered by what she is able to understand until she is told the truth. And here you have this, this Pharisee, this teacher of teachers, grown man, hear this from Jesus, that you must be born again. He's read, he's studied about the kingdom of God his entire life, and now he's being told that you cannot see it unless you're born again. And his hindrance is, I don't understand what you mean. So Jesus responds in verse 5. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. But note what he says. He says, What's born of the flesh is flesh. What's born of the Spirit is spirit. Paul pointed out in Romans chapter 5 that we all come from the seed of Adam. Every one of us are born in the flesh. Jesus says to be born of the flesh is to be in the flesh, but to be born of the spirit is to be spirit. What was it that the angel told Mary? When Mary said, how can this be for I am a virgin? Gabriel's response, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Jesus told Nicodemus, those that are born of the Spirit is Spirit. The difference maker for that, when Jesus says one must be born again, the born again happens as a matter of the Spirit, not of the flesh. We all come from Adam the way Jesus came was through a virgin. We all come from Adam and we share in Adam's sin. In order for Jesus to be pure and blameless and white without blemish, is he cannot be born of the flesh because born of the flesh is the flesh. So it was the Holy Spirit. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. He says, therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The key characteristic difference between us and Jesus is that Jesus is holy. Jesus is fully God and fully man. The only way he comes in that form is if he skips the flesh entirely. 
The way in which he skips the flesh is by the way of the Spirit. Now, for that pastor who would say, I can neither confirm nor deny because he's stuck in his flesh and he's trying to reconcile a virgin birth. He probably has no problem with any other miracle in the body, a miracle within your Bible. But for some reason, that miracle can get people hung up. But it's a matter of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. And he says specifically, he says, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. He's speaking to this teenage Jewish girl who no doubt has learned Jewish teaching her entire life. She knows who the Most High is. She knows about the power of the Holy Spirit. But she also knows that in the Old Testament, you don't read of the Holy Spirit just falling on anybody. It's the New Testament where the Holy Spirit is poured out on God's people. If you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord, you've received his salvation, you've received his spirit. For every believer that's in this room right now, God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, lives within you. This room is filled with the Holy Spirit because it's filled with God's people. At the time of this writing, when this young teenage girl is getting this message from the angel Gabriel, the Holy Spirit didn't fill rooms with people. The Holy Spirit landed on Moses. You read of the Holy Spirit being on King Saul until he turned from God, and then the Holy Spirit comes to David. You see the Holy Spirit with Elijah. Elisha, you don't see it on droves of people the way you do see the Holy Spirit descend upon God's people in the church. So here you have this teenage girl being told that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you in the power of the Most High, and then it's through that power that you will conceive, and then you will Bear this child, and he will be born, and he will be called holy. The only way Jesus is called holy is if he comes through the Spirit. So when Jesus tells tells Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and which is born of the Spirit is spirit. When he says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again, you see a difference. You see you singular, he's talking to Nicodemus. But when he says... When he says, do not marvel that I said to you, Nicodemus, then he says, you must be born again. That you is plural. So Jesus affectionately is is saying to Nicodemus, he's saying, you all must be born again. He says, don't marvel at that. You can't wrap your mind around that right now because you're born of the flesh. But when he says, you all must be born of the spirit, he's saying, you all in everybody, not him. The message is the entire world is born of the flesh and needs to be born of the spirit. But the only way that's possible is because the one man, Jesus Christ, was born of the spirit. And in his pure, perfect life, he went to the cross and he laid down that perfect life and shed his blood perfectly so that his sacrifice would be sufficient to pay the penalty that you and I owe. Because of the virgin birth, we have a sinless Savior. The reason why when we die and our bodies give out, when this dies and death comes on this body, the reason why that is not sufficient to pay the penalty is because it is sinful. Jesus' was acceptable because it was sinless. The second thing that we can take away from a virgin birth is that it gives hope to sinners. There's always hope for you and I. As Paul understood, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. We know from Romans 3.23 that 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of that sin is death. But, one of the biggest buts in the Bible, is that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? But Paul in Romans 5, just after he makes that statement of that understanding in verse 12 about all being sinful, he says this regarding the free gift. He says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many transgressions or transpasses brought justification. So he says the many there, the many trespasses is every sin that's ever been committed. In one sense, you have the free gift is not like that one man's sin. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But after every trespass, every sin that's ever been committed because of one man's faithfulness in Jesus Christ, we find justification. Verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, a death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Paul uses this word that we translate to reign, but it's lordship, it's control, it's authority. When we're in our flesh, we are under the authority of that flesh and we're under the authority of sin. And that transgression and that trespass leads to death. But when we are under Jesus Christ and he reigns in our hearts, righteousness reigns. Righteousness has authority. Righteousness rules. And through that we find life. And that is all made possible by the purity and the coming of the king. So why would death still reign? Why would death ever still reign in our lives? It's because of the sin of Adam. You know, we sang the song, sang the song a minute ago, you know, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And that song, we sing at Christmas time because we're looking backward and, you know, singing for the coming of Emmanuel, God with us, the coming king, as we celebrate his birth. But we can also look and sing to a second coming. If you read your Old Testament and all the prophecy about the coming of the Messiah, the virgin birth, all of that is there. Everything that was written before Jesus' birth all came and was fulfilled in his birth. And if we read of what was going to happen in his birth, and then God's word tells us of what's going to happen when he comes again, you and I can rest assured that Jesus Christ will one day come again. But until he comes again, death reigns because we all come from Adam. But because of Jesus... All of us can be born again in the Spirit and experience His righteousness, His purity, and life everlasting. So this Christmas, as we read the Christmas story, if you have a tradition, I would encourage you to think through traditions for your family. For my family, the tradition we're starting to, to set with our girls is Christmas morning before any gift is opened. We've got a two-year-old and a six-month-year-old. Six-month-year-old? six-month-old. She's just going to play with whatever you put in front of her. But Nora, a two-year-old, she thinks she's, sees things, sees the present. She's looking forward to opening them up before she opens anything up, even at two years old. 
I want to read the Christmas story. I want to tell her of the greatest gift she would ever receive. Right now, she's two, and she will not fully understand that truth because she's two. But my heart's desire and prayer above all things is that as she grows older, she has an understanding of that truth because the reality is what's born of flesh is flesh. And my two-year-old daughter right now is born of flesh. My heart's longing desire is that one day she would be born of the Spirit. And until she has that from the Spirit, my job is to teach her God's truth. Tell her of the purity of Mary, why she was chosen, why God sent his son to be born of a virgin in the spirit so that he wouldn't share in our sin. My two-year-old, when she can bear it, and my six-month-old, when she can bear it, needs to know she's born of the flesh. There's a penalty for that sin. But the free gift that she has in Jesus Christ is eternal life because of his sinlessness. That's the thing that we should celebrate and remind ourselves of. And if a candy cane helps you, by golly, eat a candy cane. Amen? Let me pray for us this evening. Lord, thank you for this evening. Lord, we thank you for your son. And Lord, and I pray that just in the midst of the season and just the hustle and bustle and just everything that goes on with it, Lord, and just what can become the commercialization of the Christmas time. Lord, that we can fall to a place where we say happy holidays more than we say Merry Christmas. May it not be so in our hearts, Lord, that may we remember and celebrate your birth, Lord, before that was the difference maker in the entirety of human history, that you promised the Messiah and he came in the form of a baby born to a pure virgin so that he might not share in sin, but he might come amongst sinners to save sinners, that his death may be acceptable because of his perfection for our imperfection. And I pray that we remember those things. We mark our hearts by those things, Lord, for your glory, for our good, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for those that hear that truth but are far from you, that that truth may resonate within their heart, Lord that they may be born again for your glory. Lord, we love you and we thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.